Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Well, should we do it? Should we get on to the, our mutant uh, mayhem series? Yeah, I guess so. Hey guys, it is the Trash Heap Podcast, the show where we uh, give discarded gems a second chance and are out to prove there are no garbage opinions, no no garbage movies, only garbage opinions. You are so close. I really I love so the enthusiasm, close. though. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm going to have to pump it up for this one because I got nothing on this episode. Got nothing. You I know, can't sometimes. Sometimes when I'm at my lowest is when I perform at my best. Yeah, I think we'll rise to the occasion. Yeah, you know, when I come when I come in with I'll come in with like pretty good energy some days and then I just kind of like coast. But when I when I have nothing going on, when I'm like when the tank is empty, then I just set those fumes on fire and Yeah, like, it's the last uh you know, the last 10 miles where you that really count. So Right. We're going to get it figured out. So we're talking about, we've been talking about uh, mutants. Last time we talked about, uh, I have no idea. Oh, Ninja Turtle. Ninja Turtle. Yeah, we talked about that. Today we're going to talk about Gremlins 2, because in Gremlins 2, if you're not aware, the Gremlins mutate and they turn into mutants. Uh, then we're going to talk, then we're going to, we're potentially going to talk about one other rep, mutant movie to be announced. Yeah, and then, T- then we'll, TBA. Then we'll, then we'll be done with mutants forever. We'll never engage with mutants again. Yeah. We're at a crossroads here, though, where we could, or I guess it's not a crossroads, it's more of a why, where we could either branch into more mutants or we could branch into Joe Dante movies. Because, man, what an interesting guy. I would rather dr- branch into Joe Dante movies <laughs> myself. The director of such films as Gremlins and Gremlins 2, The New Badge. Piranha. But not Piranha 2. Right. Uh, and, and The Howling, but not The Howling 2. Is there any other sequels in his filmography? No, I don't think so. No. Uh, no, he doesn't like sequels. And that's kind of the no. big story with Gremlins 2 is Warner Brothers, because Gremlins was such a massive financial hit, they said, Joe, we got to get you back for Gremlins 2. And he said, no way. Uh, my perfect... Norman Rockwell with Critters story is done. Please leave me alone. I'm going to make a different movie. And they did for a little bit, and they're like, nah, nah, we don't have any good ideas. We'll let you do it with total creative freedom. You can do whatever you want. Just please make Gremlins 2 for Warner Brothers. And, he and said, then he, he, he okay. did Okay. Yeah. He, <laughs> he well, did like a Twilight Zone style, like, like, You'll get your wish, but there's yeah, going to be consequences. You're not gonna like it. Yeah, it's a very much like a self-referential, like making fun of sequels, making fun of merchandising, making fun know, of Warner Brothers, making fun of Warner Brothers, all these things. And he got to do whatever he wanted, and then he uh, tanked his career. Did he though? I I think between this and the failure of Matinee, which is a great movie, his career kind of kind of sputtered out after that. Maybe it cooled from a financial standpoint, but... Well, he was sitting pretty, you know, he was a surprisingly hot commodity, you know, where he had had a, a, a surprise bunch of hits, 
and he had you know for of, of the quote unquote weird directors he had a little bit more freedom than a lot of them did at the time and net currently you know and then like that freedom kind of went away it's interesting to look back at the career of a director there's a cool list here of projects that Joe Dante turned down uh-huh. and it's really interesting some of them are uh, Halloween 3, the season right. of the witch. Like, that's one of those movies where, like, oh, or Jurassic Park. He was offered Jurassic Park, Apparently. like pre Spielberg. That seems very surprising to me. But I feel like that's also one of the, and Casper the Friendly Ghost. I feel like some of those are movies that, like, they'll just, like, put the feelers out to a few guys to right. see if they have anything that they can bring to the table. Halloween 3, he was, like, he was actually, I know for a fact, attached. He was going to direct that movie, and then I think it was a scheduling conflict or something. Uh, and he ended up doing Gremlins instead, I think, was what happened. But he was legit. He was like, I am going to direct this movie. He just directed a segment of Twilight Zone, the movie, right? He did, yeah. He did the uh, the one where it's, the like, the... The little boy in the small town who can do anything. Right. Read your thoughts. Turn you into a goblin. He did that, he did that segment, yeah. Which, I wish that movie was better overall. You yeah. know, it's like, it, does, it just doesn't gel. It's There are really good parts to it, and then... Yeah, it doesn't like, quite come together. Yeah. I mean, that's the tough part when you have... You know, if you think of an anthology, you need sort of one... Either like a very strong theme tying everything together, right. or like a singular creative vision right. to, to align everything. So it's it's tough, even with super talented people involved. Right. I also, I saw, I saw some director talking, I can't remember who it was, talking about why there aren't that many great anthology movies. And he was basically saying, if you have an idea that's good enough to tell, it's probably good enough for a whole movie. Yeah. You know, so it's like... You either have something that's underbaked because it should be a whole movie, or it's something that just wasn't that good in the first place, and that's why and you couldn't and you couldn't build enough enough on it, and that's why it's your short. You know, now obviously there are definitely exceptions to those rules, but by and large, even a lot of the, like the great anthology movies, you're just kind of like you actually pick them apart to like eh, it's okay. It's just it's good for an anthology movie, but it's not necessarily a great movie overall type of thing. Yeah, that's where you got to sort of lower the bar a little bit for your expectations on an anthology. I was even like kind of thinking that in the past that that might be a fun thing to do for a Halloween episode is, oh, our favorite anthology movies. But then I kind of was just like, eh, no, because we'll just be recycling, you know, the same same stuff. No, there won't be really any surprises. Maybe we could do our favorite segments. That could be a little bit better, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, basically like the classics are kind of classics for reasons, you know, type of things when it comes to those. Like, I don't know, do you have it? Like, do you, what are, what are your favorite anthology movies? Oh, the Mortuary Collection. I didn't like that one, man. What? Get the fuck out I of didn't, here. I didn't even finish You're it. I watched piece the, of shit. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't know what more you want like that. I didn't, I felt like it had the juice. Like, I, I liked the mood and the vibe. I liked the mm. bookend segments. I liked the, the sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The whole energy of it, I thought, really worked. I think it was like, I don't know, almost there, but missed in like cr- crucial ways for me, I guess. All right. I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, ABCs of Death. 
No, like that one has like that's one of those things like that you can point to a couple good segments. There's too many those, misfires. Yeah, that's yeah, it's it's ninety percent pretty bad. And it then, also like, like you get about halfway through the alphabet and it starts to like you're like, all right, tedious. can we pick up the pace here? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just tedious. I don't know, man. Like I like uh, trick or treat. Uh, yeah, trick or treat is very good. And but that's more that one's almost more of like interweaving stories, you know. Almost. Well, that's what's so great about it, right? Yeah. It is like technically it is an anthology, but they're all like they all fit together like right. very well. It's it sits right in between kind of like one of those I I the only thing I can think of is like those 90s like multi-character interweaving stories like pulp fiction and there's a bunch of other movies like like that that came out after it. Mall Rats. Mall Rats, yeah. All these 2 Days in it, the Valley. Yeah. Um <laughs> It sits in between, like, obviously not in subject matter, but just, you know, cons- format and construction. It sits somewhere in between that and an anthology. Yeah. So it's a little bit hard to call it a complete, complete completely anthology movie, even though it pretty much is. But that one's great. Creepshow is pretty good, but I think it's kind of overrated. Well, Creepshow is just an old movie at this point. So... Well, like at a point, like a lot of movies, either they either feel timeless or they start to feel like old. Oh yeah, it's like wow, this movie was made a long time ago. I see what you, I see what you're saying. But as like, far as like the whole like comic book presentation and stuff, like you're not really gonna get uh, and too much better than that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's and a, it's, it's one of uh, George Romero's best. It, and it has a few, probably if you that one would be better if you just cut out a segment or two, and trimmed it down a little bit. But it is pretty solid overall body bags is not very good no body bags is not good there's definitely like a a fan base for it but well i think it's the like the like the the best part is john carpenter right that's he's fun (laughs) in it you know as like the the living you know the talking corpse yeah uh that first segment with the gas station is not bad but it's not very good overall tales from the dark side is pretty good and tales from the dark side is awesome and the mummy story is a little bit uh, long, but yeah. if you tighten that up, the the artist, the painter story is fucking awesome. That's the one with the uh, James Remar. Yeah, that one's really good. The cat one is really yeah, good. Yeah, the cat from hell is awesome. That ending is an all time banger. Unbelievable. Oh, you know what's a good anthology? Uh, I mean, this is like we normally we think of them as horror movies, but uh, the, the Coen brothers, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, their Western anthology movie is really good. <sighs> You've never even seen it. I didn't finish it, actually. I quit like really? halfway through. Yeah, I, for some reason it like rubbed me the wrong way. Not in, in, from any like moral standpoint or anything like yeah. that. I was just like, I don't. I maybe did, one day I'll finish it. I did, a lot of this, people did like it. Did you get to the segment with Tom Waits as the gold prospector? Uh, maybe. That's the best one. That's uh, the best one. Of co- oh, of course you like Tom Waits. Uh, okay, yes, I am a Tom <laughs> Waits fan. That is not a secret. But he is not. No, he has not necessarily always been in great movies. You know, it's he. Uh, I feel like there's one that's on the tip of my tongue that's like. I usually a site as like my favorite anthology movie. I just can't think of it. Whatever. That has nothing to do with mutants. No, but it was a fun little tangent. Aside, yeah. Yeah. 
So let me ask you a question, Keith, because for me, I remember very specifically, I was, I grew up, I loved Gremlins was one of my favorite things as a little kid. Oh, I was it mod- Cat's Eye? I don't like Cat's Eye. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think there's maybe a segment in Cat's Eye that I think is okay, but I can't even remember what they are other than like the, the little goblin on the, uh, on the record player, but I don't like that one. Oh, it's probably Tales from the Hood. No, I don't like that one so much either. Oh. It's fine. I don't like hate it or anything, but I, that's another one where it's like there's one or two segments I think are pretty good and the rest I don't think is great and it looks it's really cheap looking. I like the kind of like the the wrap around, you know, interlude segments in the with the with the old man and stuff. But I'm not a big fan of the movie overall. So yeah, uh Gremlins 2. Yeah, yeah when I was a kid, uh I I had the Gremlins 2 trading card set. Oh yeah. Not enough mutants in that one. Too well, many too many people. Well, here's what I want to ask you, because I remember when this movie was coming out, I was really excited for it. And one of the things I was really excited for was all the different types of gremlins. Yeah, there right? which, of which there are many. Because in the previews they really like there's like there's the flying gremlin, there's the electricity gremlin, there's the spider gremlin, there's the vegetable gremlin, oh, there's I love the, the smart gremlin. gremlin. You know, there's the lady gremlin, you know, there's all these things. And I was excited for it because of that, which is actually one of the things the movie is making fun of is the concept of like, well, we got more and bigger and crazier, you know, monsters in this one. There's like like a second string too. There's like the biker tattoo artist gremlin. Yeah. Who's like tattooing the Warner Brothers logo on the chest of another gremlin. (laughs) I mean, that kind of exists in the first one too. Like when they go to the bar and there's the gremlin dress up as the blues man (laughs) his voice is he's like yeah and then there's like the the aerobics gremlin like that exists oh yeah within the first one to a certain degree but then i never saw the movie i never saw it i don't know why i didn't but i didn't see it until i was an adult and i've seen it so this was only and all that childlike wonder had been sort of squeezed out of you right and i i'll honestly say the first time i watched this is the second time i've watched oh wow i was for this show the first time i watched it i was like "Ah, whatever i enjoyed it a lot more this time around um i'm glad to hear that how what was your what has been your experience and journey with it uh yeah i was hyped as a kid and uh, I don't think uh, I think I saw it as a teen or like a like a maybe twelve year old or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It had all the wacky, crazy gimmicks, and the special effects budget was like tripled, and so yeah. everything looked amazing. Back then, I didn't care about the story or anything. Right. I love the basic setup of. Gizmo is still living at the curiosity shop uh-huh. in his little cage. And now he's addicted to television. Yeah. He loves. <laughs> it's kind of twisted, actually. Like he immediately flips on a television and starts internalizing the the messages of Rambo, the right, government yeah. trained killing machine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, uh oh, this can't be good. Well, yeah, I mean, the sec- this, this, you know, like a lot of the stuff in Gremlins 2 is, is a little bit on the nose, but I guess that's the point because it is this 
like you said earlier, like, oh, I don't, I hate sequels. You're going to make me make a sequel. Okay, well, be careful what you wish for because he just makes fun of all this stuff and like all the tropes of sequels, the fact that studios want to milk everything for every penny, you know, so it's the whole plot of the movie is about this big, like, kind of, I guess he's kind of like, they kind of allude to him being like Donald Trump. He even has like a book that has the same cover as Art of the Deal and it's Clamp, you know, I think it's his name, right? Yep, Daniel Clamp. But he's not necessarily a, a one-to-one Donald Trump. No, you know, but, but he owns a, you know, a massive cable network, and right. he's also a land developer. Like he's sort of right. an ma- amalgamation of Ted Turner and Donald Trump. Yeah, he's like super he was, into real estate and, and yeah. developing buildings and things like that. And the, and obviously, this is not a guy. It was he was this is not a guy. But he, there's a lot of like Elon Musk in him too. Sure. You know? That type of person, that particular type of personality. Yeah, and this this serial entrepreneur where he just walks around coming up with brilliant ideas for right, new yes. business ventures. Yes, yeah. yeah, but he's just kind of an idiot, you know, who's fallen into success. Yeah, there is a little bit of a charm to it, though, the sort of, like, uh, childlike mania where he he's, can, he's just sort of always imagining new things. Right, his character is definitely, like, not as evil as the real people that he is inspired by. No, he's very entertaining. You know, know, he, he is much more of like, like you said, like childlike in his presentation of these, of these things. And it's more of like his lackeys and goons around him who are the more nefarious Right, the people, yeah, he has sort of a broad vision. And in order to achieve that vision, people do evil in his, in his stead. But where he comes in and where his giant smart building full of, uh, interesting tenants comes in is that our hero from the first gremlins billy is now moved to the big city with his girlfriend and trying to make it as a as a concept artist yeah spoiler alert they hate the city because it's awful and filled with awful people yes and smells people yeah people are hurrying on the sidewalk and shoving you out of the way and you can't catch a cab because the greedy cab drivers only want to make airport runs. <laughs> and why uh, I love it when they're they're trying to enter the building, and they're gonna do the the gimmick with the with the rotating door, which I have right. I don't believe I've ever encountered a one of those sort of rotating doors that is not just powered by human momentum. Like I've never seen like an automatic one. No, absolutely not because it would be incredibly dangerous. Yeah. But that guy, the guy that gets sucked into it, like he's not just like rude in like a normal way. He literally shoves Kate out of the way in order to get into the door. Like mm-hmm. stiff arms her like into next week. It's very funny. Like you would really have to go out of your way to be that rude to someone. Yeah. But then he gets sucked into the the door and then spit out and there's papers flying everywhere important ones i'd assume very funny but from minute one it's it's the city is awful the future is awful how are these uh you know podunk goofberries from a norman rockwell painting how are they going to make it in this meat grinder of a world you know so that's how we're that's our anchor that's our emotional anchor to these characters is we want to see them succeed and do well Wow. But uh, uh, Giz- Gizmo's living in the, the old curiosity shop. And coincidentally, Daniel Clamp is trying to knock down that building so he can reinvent Chinatown. 
as right. the center of commerce. He says like a really goofy line about it. It's like uh, yeah, it's right at the beginning. I I know which line you're talking about, but I can't remember it specifically. But he integrates the phrase "the Orient." Re, oh, re, re, like he's like reorient the Orient or something. Yeah, something like that. I don't like uh, it's. It's weird. Yeah, it's like it's. But it's, it's a very, something like, that someone like that would say. Right. Yeah. It's tone deaf, <laughs> kind of like vaguely racist. And, yeah. But it's centered on uh, marketing and making money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great line. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you like like I said earlier, a lot of this stuff is on the nose, but like purposely so. Yeah, it's and, a really like sort of subversive like sort of uh, execution uh, on all oh, on, on almost every level. Yeah, there's a lot of breaking of the fourth wall, like Leonard Maltin is reviewing the movie in the movie, you know, type of thing. And That's interesting, too. So that what we're presupposing here is this is a world in which Gremlins exists. Right. Which it does. Yes. Right? The so someone exists. someone may already made a movie out of their story, even though they right. attempted to cover it up completely. And it seems like just from a presentation standpoint that only Billy and Kate and uh, the Futtermans know about the gremlins. Right. Well, I think it's a, I think you might be reading a little bit too into the uh, continuity and cohesiveness of this, because also within the movie, you, the movie you were watching it in the celluloid, like burns up and stuff. And then we go to the theater and the people are like, we're trying to watch gremlins too. But gremlins are in the projection booth ripping up the thing, and then Hulk Hogan has to threaten the gremlins to behave. Arguably so, the greatest act of cinema to ever occur. It is incredible. It is incredible just because the matrix like the also like the, the usher at the theater is like an elderly man in a tuxedo. Yeah. Uh he looks like it's not the same actor, but he looks like the guy who plays uh the the, the ghost in the ghost butler in uh, The Shining. He's dressed exactly the same, you know? Oh, yeah. And he also, I mean, by that time, like, there was, they didn't have those type of ushers at the movies anymore. No, not by any means. And he goes, he walks into the theater, and Hulk Hogan is watching the movie. He's like, excuse me, Mr. Hogan, there's there's gremlins in the projection. Do you think you could deal with it? And he's like, gremlins! Not only is he dressed in his like full gimmick, but he is also wearing his World Wrestling Federation championship. <laughs> you know how uncomfortable that would be to sit in a movie theater seat wearing <laughs> with a- that belt. Yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of things like that. But that's and- a, such an incredible. Like, imagine going to the theater and like that starts happening. Like that the moment where their two characters are talking, and then you start to hear the film crackle, and then like right. it all like burns up to white. Like, that is mm-hmm. unbelievable. And maybe by the time, a few years later, when Last Action Hero came out, it had less of a sort of shock and kitsch value. Right. But in that moment, holy shit. Like, you had no idea what you were in for. Right. Well, also, it's like, this movie, I don't know. I kind of wish I had seen it as a kid, because I think I would have. I would definitely have enjoyed it on different levels, you know? I would have enjoyed the things that they were making fun of as a kid. Like I would have been like, I like all the different gremlins, you know, because mutant gremlins is cool. And then as I got older, I'd be like, oh, they're making fun of that trope uh, in movies. Um, but this movie was not like hugely successful when it came yeah, out. Apparently, like, it was a big right? bomb. I mean, like, well, which kind of makes sense to a certain degree because, like, 
there's a level of jumping the shark and it's like this is the the first follow-up sequel to gremlins it wasn't like they had milked it for everything it's worth and then they did the spoof right the spoof came directly after it and it's actually interesting to note so the original we were talking about jaws movies and whatnot and the original jaws 3 was supposed to be called jaws 3 people zero and it was going to be a spoof of the first one and a spoof of sequels themselves and a lot of the same kind of some of the same themes as this movie and guess who was originally going to direct it joe dante what yes and then at the last minute they were like hey maybe we shouldn't like turn our big cash cow into a joke just quite yet so they scrapped that whole idea and they made the the jaws 3d as 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 we know it so basically joe dante just took a lot of those ideas and supplanted them into gremlins 2 here's a funny aside almost before they could even get out a second gremlins movie there had pretty much been three critters movies three critters movies uh how many ghoulies movies munchies <laughs> there's one called like hobgoblins or something oh, yeah. which is essentially the same thing and i've heard joe Dante talks about like he's like he's like i don't like have any problem with those like i made piranha you know which was a jaws ripoff no you know? and he worked for you yeah. know uh, charles band at new world pictures like he, and he used roger to cut, corman and yeah, yeah he cut trailers for roger corman so he is no stranger to like schlock and you could argue that his you know, a lot of his movies are just big budget schlock. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got some very clever takes on everything, but he's definitely like a, like, what if we did this type of guy? Right. Like, like take this, this B movie and turn it into something. And it's usually, usually not always, but there's usually a level of satire to yeah. them, you know? And Even if, like, I think if you're an intelligent, creative person, like, there's always going to be a level of satire, like, kind of right. inherent. Like, that always comes with a lot of self awareness. Mm-hmm. Diving deeper into like some of Joe Dante's pretty like matinee, like that's a great movie that I think has gotten a little bit of a uh, cult following since it came out. It was a, not a hit and never really got like the attention I think it deserved. It's kind of weird too because like what was the target audience? It's a coming of age story about kids who love monster movies in the early '60s, set to the backdrop of the Cold War. You know, it's. And it's also sort of a, a semi-fictionalized biography of uh, William Castle, you know, the the schlocky horror producer, you know. So it's like, who 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 is this? Who is this movie for? Is it's just for a handful of nerds type of thing? Yeah, this is Joe uh, Dante's version of like Ed Wood. Yeah, that's right. It's right. Without without quite so much kitsch value. Right. Right. By the time Which Tim is- Burton made that movie, uh, people would have watched anything he put out right and that turned out to be actually his like least popular movie but it does have a huge cult audience and to me joe dante probably just missed his target audience in terms of like timing Mm -hmm. and i bet like soon enough there's gonna be a a new generation discovering that and i think also joe dante despite him being a very successful director it doesn't seem like he gets discussed in kind of the same way like Wes Craven or John Carpenter or people like that are discussed because he's in this weird middle part where he's making 
genre movies, but he's not so synonymous with a single genre that he gets uh, sort of bantied about. Yeah. But he, I mean, he made The Howling. He made Explorers, Inner Space, The Burbs. Like, The yeah. Burbs is, I don't know about it's... you, but as I have gotten older, that movie has, I liked it as a kid, but that movie has become more and more of a staple. Like, I'm watching that movie, like, every year. Right. Well, it's, like, two things, you know, about what, about what you said there. Like, when it comes to, like, Tim Burton and Ed Wood, you know, Tim Burton was at the peak of his success, you know, with a string of hits, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands. Like, yeah, you said, anyone would go and see anything like he would do. Uh, Johnny Depp is like the peak of his rising stardom. It's presented much more as a comedy. So it's not, and even though that wasn't like a hugely successful movie or it wasn't as financially successful as his previous films, it wasn't a bomb by any means. You know, and it was also ended up being like an Oscar winning movie for technical features. Like it won like best makeup. I think, I think Martin Lando won best supporting actor. Whereas matinee, it's when I say the target audience, it's like who, who I think if people saw the movie who were not, who aren't even interested in old monster movies or any of this stuff, they saw it like, they'd be like, Oh wow, this is a really good movie. But like the selling points of, of the movie just weren't there as much as uh for for just joe six-pack to go see a movie weren't there as much as ed wood no it's for people tra- joe dante's age right you know right and, who were uh, not necessarily going to the movies <laughs> and i remember i saw it when it came out because i was like i like monster movies right but i wasn't necessarily like the the, the like the base the base market for like you know the the, the entire public i I said that kind of backwards, but I think you know what I meant. But yeah, in terms of like him not really getting just talked about in general, like if you look at his filmography is, you know, between, you know, Piranha and uh, Matinee, it's like pound for pound. He's delivering, you know, every single time, you know, he maybe is not having as big a hits as some of these other guys, but he, you know, he's, you know, you're talking comparing Wes Craven, like, yeah, maybe he never had his hit quite as big as Nightmare on Elm Street, but he also never made uh, Shocker or, you know, uh, Deadly Friend. Deadly Friend. Yeah. Like, he, he, like, just pound for pound in terms of just, like, knocking it out of the park in terms of quality and at least modest success, you know? Yeah. He really should get, he really should get a little more credit where credit is due. But then, yeah, then he kind of had, you know, his career kind of dwindled and he ended up making Looney Tunes back in action and the whole he, he did the, make the edgy version of Toy Story Small Soldiers right which I never saw that one it's pretty solid yeah but I think that was also like not a huge hit too right it was supposed to be like a big movie yeah I think it was like moderately successful but and not quite the monster it was, yeah it was ex- I think it was kind of like okay you just did Gremlins 2 and Matinee, you need a hit to to save your career, and then they've dumped a lot of money into Small Soldiers, and I remember there's a lot of marketing tie-ins, yeah, and whatnot, and then it was not a huge, huge success. But maybe we, uh, maybe we should do a Matinee Small Soldiers double feature, double feature. Yeah, sure, why not? Because it's a Matinee, you have to, it has to be a double feature, right? Yeah, we'll do a Trash Heap Salute, Toilet Flush, 
to Joe Dante. Absolutely. But I guess we should get back to Gremlins 2. I just want to yeah, talk the, more well, about Joe Yeah, well, this is Gremlins 2 is Joe Dante at just un, unchained. They cut him yeah. loose, and he went fucking berserk. Yeah. And I did dramatically like this one a lot more. You know what's great about this movie? Yeah. Not much gizmo in it. Yeah. It's all about the gremlins. He said, you want gremlins? I'll give you gremlins. Yeah. I'm going to put gizmo in a fucking drawer and let right. these other gremlins run free. And then when you see gizmo, he's getting bullied and tortured and just well, like, that's, dunked that's, on. That's the, that happens in the other ones, too, you know? Uh, the, I mean, the other ones, the first one. I feel like in the first one, though, we spend a lot more time with Gizmo, like, oh, being yeah. cute and hanging out. and. Oh, for sure, yeah. I'm just talking about the bullying and, you know, dunked on. And he's tortured for most of the movie until coming back as the hero at, at the end type of thing. Yeah, I don't know about hero. More he's like a of... uh, uh, killing machine. Oh, I meant, like, the... Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. But... Uh, yeah, this movie is, I enjoyed it a lot more this time around, and I was like, oh, this is actually really good. And there's parts that I, that I, I don't even remember from the first time, but it made me laugh so hard. Oh, one of the truly incredible moments, I think probably the, the Hulk Hogan looking into the camera and saying, sorry folks, enjoy the movie, is, is at the top of the heap, but like, even the, just the riffing on the previous movie, like yes. where Kate is about to tell another traumatic story from this is her my, childhood. That's my favorite part of the movie about uh, Lincoln's President's birthday. <laughs> yeah, Lincoln's birthday, and he was like, you're right. it's, "It's like it's like the whole setup." It's like my mom had packed me a PB and J, and you know, I was at the park and I saw this man. He looked exactly like Abraham Lincoln. She starts to where go into this trance and tell the story, and then Billy's like, "We don't, we don't have time for this." Right, where it's like the same, like yeah, like the riffing on the like her dad dead in the uh, dressed up as Santa Claus in the chimney, which is like that, an incredible moment from the first one. You know right, what I mean? It's yeah. like you don't even like want to riff on that because it's it's truly great. It's but, genuinely like sad and like um, has emotional impact. Uh, but yeah, it is. But the, it's still that, hilarious to like riff on that too. Yeah, like that's. I mean, that's why it was my my favorite part of the movie is because, like you just said, you don't want to riff on it because it's it's it doesn't deserve to be made fun of. But when they do it, do it, it's done so well. You know. I mean, it also kind of solidifies like this story is like barely about Billy and Kate. Like there is just like a tiny bit of setup about they're living in the city. They right. want to get married. Uh, and they want to advance in their careers and have a little bit more money and whatever. They're chasing the the yuppie dream. But that's it. Like, beyond that, there is no character development for either no. of them. They're just sort of here to chase gremlins around and, you know, eventually uh, solve the problem. And that's it. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But we also get appearance by the Futtermans. Or the Fettermans? Futtermans? Futtermans. Yeah. Which is the old couple from the first one. Yeah, Mr. Futterman is in therapy for yeah. the, the, the... The trauma. The, yeah, the trauma he experienced the first go-around with the gremlins. Which they've just traveled across the country to visit their... 36 hours on a Greyhound bus to get to New York City from yeah, to visit, Bedford <laughs> the, Falls. To visit, to visit their casual acquaintance, the neighbor boy. Yeah, the neighbor. <laughs> they refer to him as such. Yeah, it's like it makes literal no sense for them to be in here, but that's fine because 
the movie's acknowledging like that 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 is that this whole thing is absurd. You no, know? the only reason they're connected is because of their shared uh, experience, and that's it. Right, and then immediately they try to they try to they're like hey can we crash in your new york city apartment like are you crazy old man but he is crazy he is he still can't come to terms with the fact that uh even though the u.s won world war ii there's like you know evil foreigners like driving cabs and stuff right that's pretty funny. well it's the like, line is like they got russians driving cabs can you imagine if someone got in there with nuclear secrets <laughs> <laughs> Like like some like government agent with a briefcase full of nuclear secrets is gonna get in this cab. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty great. It's pretty pretty great. Now um, this this place of business that uh, Billy works at and, and Kate as well with her funny hat is a it's a cable network, but it also houses a ton of other, uh, you know, there's retail shops, there's a TV studio, there's a genetics lab, which is kind of the the focal point. Mm-hmm. So after the curiosity shop is bulldozed, after the, the death of the owner, Gizmo is just sort of walking around the alley where he is kidnapped by a scientist on a, a specimen gathering mission. Right which is a funny sort of coincidence. And when he wakes up in the lab, uh, you find out that uh, Dr. Catheter, as played by Christopher Lee and his clone lab assistants, they like to do some uh, genetic experimentation. That they do. But it's fun to get to see Christopher Lee. Yeah, Christopher Lee's in this, you know. As Dr. Catheter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that there is, I, like I mentioned earlier, like how it kind of like, it's kind of crazy that this is the first sequel to the first Gremlins. Do you think if there was a sequel or two in between this, that this would have been more successful as the send up or I mean, personally, I like the fact that it, it, it went, it did go straight to this because if you had put some in between it, it, the whole thing, we just would have been tired by that point. Um, but do you think it potentially would have been more successful if they'd waited a movie for the spoof? The only way that could have worked is if they would have went in a different direction with a different director uh-huh. and then brought back Joe Dante to sort of right, kill yeah. the series. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I don't know who they would have gotten. But I'm, I don't know. Th- who knows? Maybe it would have ended up like... A nightmare on elm street right. right with a different director pairing and like every the tone of every single one is sort of a little off and then eventually because yeah you could argue that this movie is much closer to wes craven's new nightmare right which came at the you know what was like eighth or ninth in the series right but I, I do like that the Joe Dante immediately was like, nope, we're putting this to bed right now. Uh, yeah, the only kind of like kind of similar comparison that jumps into my mind is like I was thinking about the Triple X movies, which are different for multiple reasons. But you have the first Triple X, which is one, it's just a dumb idea that everyone's taking seriously. 
And then you have the sequel to that, which is even dumber, but people are still taking it seriously. And then you have the third one where it seems like everybody involved in it knows it's a joke except for Vin Diesel, you know, which is incredibly entertaining. But I guess it's not really the same level of evolution, you know, because you started with something dumb, enjoyable, but dumb, you know. Whereas Gremlins is just a, a home run in, in all in all respects. It really is like the perfect execution of a, a very good idea. You know, yeah. like you could you can explain Gremlins in a single image, like a Norman Rockwell painting, but with like little critters like causing mayhem like in every little corner and every right. sort of detail. You know what I mean? Like that's it. Like that's a great idea. Like right. when you can explain it in, in so succinctly. Now, so in this movie, they they acknowledge all the people like making fun of the like the rules. I really love that. Like, I really like that's the perfect like, and I'm sure, you know, that was part of the critical backlash of the first one is starting to poke holes in like that logic, and it's it's the same thing that we do, right? We complain about that kind of stuff all the time. Oh, well, actually. Well, you know, it's like, so they, in this movie, they go like, well, what if you eat something before midnight, but there's something stuck in your teeth and then it falls out and then you swallow it, does that count and all this stuff? And yeah, we, we poke holes and plot holes and stuff. It actually really bothers me when people complain about that in Gremlins. I mean, I shouldn't say it really bothers me. I don't give a fuck, but I think it's stupid when people complain about that because clearly like the whole thing centers around some sort of mythical little monster, you know, it's not, it's. You know, like they go in to get this mogwai, and it's like, oh, this is, it's clearly not, it's a magical animal, right? Yeah, these rules are not science based. Right. They're so probably it's like, just a good guess. Right. So it's just like the magic rules are totally fine because this is a magic little thing that can talk and do this stuff and uh, is based off, well, one, like it's mogwais and gremlins are both based off pre existing folklore. That are not, you know, this movie in 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 China, a mogwai is like a little goblin demon thing that doesn't produce bio water, but produ- but reproduces when it rains. Like that's its mating season. Oh, and then the Gremlins is you know comes out of. I mean, that uh, was world- like any when anything mechanically went wrong, they're like blaming right. it on imaginary creatures. But like specifically out of World War Two, you yeah. know. And that's and that's where the concept of Gremlins gets introduced in the movie is from Mr. Fetterman being like, you know, it's these foreign, you know, car makers and they they put Gremlins in everything. They got little Gremlins they put in your watches. I remember him from World War Two. He's like ranting about it drunk. Yeah, nothing so, used to break. Like at no point are the creatures themselves referred to as Gremlins by any character. They're always just Mogwai, but that's just one evolution of the Mogwai, right? Of this magical creature from folklore. So the rules of like don't eat it, feed it after midnight are totally fine in this fantasy story. You know, it's not, at no point do they try, it bothers me when they try and make something, they try and give something a a legitimate explanation and make it plausible, but then add an implausible rule, you know, but that's not happening here. Well, in the great, how do you, how do you get yourself out of that situation? As the guy is mocking the rules and riffing on that, a gremlin immediately like comes out of the console and eats his face. And it's like shut up. Ten out of ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Oh, this movie is really good. Uh like I said, when I watched 
like I said, this is only the second time I saw it. And the first time I don't, you know, probably just because I'd hyped myself up as a child and then didn't see it till later. And I was like, ah, it's kind of a corny spoof. And I was just kind of like, whatever. But I really liked it this, this second time around. There is a point in this movie where it becomes Rick Baker's show. Yeah. And that, that moment is the scene where the gremlins break into the genetics lab and start just like chugging down random formulas with hilarious labels on them. Yeah. And mutating. And and yeah. Baker. And they just start transforming into the goofiest shit. Rick I think Baker arguably too. my favorite has to be the vegetable gremlin. It's really good. And that's the first mutant, but like, yeah, Rick Baker, Rick Baker to those who don't know is a very uh, prolific, respected makeup effects artist who did like American Werewolf in London and the howling and uh, gorillas in the mist. And a lot of, you know, just, he's like the biggest, he was like the biggest guy for a long time and pro- you know, arguably still is in that, in that realm, even though, He's getting older and doesn't work as much anymore. Uh, But yeah, that scene is just, it is definitely like a fun monster mash uh, smorgasbord. There is one, one transformation so ridiculous that I feel like it's only there so that it eventually can come up later. And that is the gremlin that transforms into electricity and gets trapped Uh in a, on a phone call. Yes. And is on hold for the, the, <laughs> for half, the half the movie, the movie until the very end when they need it to shoot out and kill all the criminals. Have you ever seen the Key and Peel skit about Gremlins 2? I have not. It popped up a lot and in my research for this episode, and I did not it's, watch it. It's pretty funny because it's kind of like it's like a like a writer's room exec boards where they're all like kind of brainstorming, like how are we going to, how are we going to make gremlins too? What's the idea? Right. And, uh, Jordan Peele's there and I can't, like, he kind of walks in there like, who are you? He's like, Oh, don't worry. I got sent by the studio to like oversee, but I just want to hear all your guys' ideas and, you know, just, you know, just shoot them out. And one guy goes, I don't know. What if we had like, like there was a mutant gremlin and he goes, Oh, you mean there's a mutant gremlin? And Jordan Peele just jumps in and goes like, Oh, you mean like, so they drink a bunch of formula and one of them turns into a spider and then another one turns into a sexy gremlin. And this goes on this like huge rant. And he's like, great, perfect. It's in the movie. Right. And they're like, like, Oh no, that's not what I was saying. Like, no, 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 no. That, that, that's how we're doing it. It's just like one mad person, like running wild with their, like, li- like any idea that's thrown out. I'm not doing a great job of just explaining it, but it's very funny within, within the context of the skit. Yeah, I want to respond to you dead serious by saying that's not what happened. Yeah, I, I know that's not I what happened. I better watch this just to, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> to a joke. figure out what's actually funny about it. It's a joke, Keith. It's a, it's just, it, you'd have to see it. It's just like somebody like running wild with these ideas. And like, it's kind of like saying like, how do these ridiculous movies, Hollywood movies, get absurd ideas end up getting made? Is just some executive hearing something and like, oh yeah, let's do that. That's a great idea, and like, and then just deciding uh, that that is that is what's happening. Uh, but I know in real life that's not how the movie was made. Um, I don't know. Do you have a lot more to say on on, on the subject of Gremlins too? I mean, it's kind of one of those movies that's a little bit hard to talk about without you know if unless you're like currently watching or talking about it with someone who's 
just seen it because trying to describe certain things, they don't really necessarily translate without having the experience, you know, without actually watching them. Yeah, I think the second half of the movie pretty much hinges on the brain gremlin. Yeah. And I think without the brain gremlin, you wouldn't really, you would run out of stuff to do because there is a lot of like, oh, here's X, you know, mutant gremlin doing some mayhem. Here's a main villain gremlin turning into, you know, a giant spider and becoming kind of the final boss for them to get around. And, but without the brain gremlin kind of moving things forward, being interviewed by Grandpa Dracula. Yeah. And being kind of the gremlin ambassador and fighting for gremlin rights, I don't think there would be really much else to do. But I think the brain gremlin is very funny. They, like, they I agree. portray him as this sort of erudite, like intellectual, sort of, you know, gnashing his teeth and adjusting his glasses. And it's very Well, that's funny. also funny, too, like when he takes the brain juice and then just instantly has glasses. Yeah, he does that thing where he bangs his head on the table and then falls down and you see the silhouette of him transforming. And, yeah, when he comes up, he's just wearing glasses. He's just wearing, like, all the other things mutate into, like, these monsters. And he just somehow mutates glasses, like a pair of glasses on his face. I love all those old, like, tropes of, like, oh, if you have glasses, you're smart. If you right. have a must stash or evil like that stuff is always gonna be stupid and funny always like it will never not be it's great yeah it's great but yeah there's this movie is very funny there's it's wall-to-wall gags and silly funny moments even going back to the beginning when billy goes out to dinner with his boss Mm-hmm. And they're at the this hot new restaurant that's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, and all the waiters are dressed like Mounties. And yes, he's like, "Oh, you want another Molson?" <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's a very good movie. Even the the ending is very funny too. Like the mm-hmm. uh, they kill all the gremlins, obviously. And the day is saved. And then Daniel Clamp comes running in with the SWAT team and he's all geared up and he immediately falls in the the gremlin soup. Yeah. And he can't like help himself. He sees this drawing of Kingston Falls that Billy made. And he's like, wow, I'm going to go build neighborhoods like that. And you're going to draw it all for me. And, you know. Kate and Billy are like, oh, we're going to be rich. And they, you know, they're all excited because their careers are advancing or whatever. And yeah. They're just, they're, they're going to turn into terrible people. Oh, yeah. And meanwhile, they have Gizmo and he's like, hey, what's that? A Mogwai? Have you ever thought about merchandising? Let's work out a deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no, all this sort of sentimentality and charm of the first one is just by the end, it's just, it's, been erased completely from your memory it's like it's truly like joe dante was just like fuck you guys you Mm -hmm. know he really had something to say and it's not there is not a single moment of subtlety no not at all and a lot of times when you watch these you know hollywood movies about like with similar themes of just like oh, the commercialism is bad and all this stuff. And it's like, it's a little bit hard to swallow, you know, because it's, you're watching a movie that is all those things and they're trying to, but it's selling you on this message that it is, that it is 
evil. It's kind of like we were talking, mentioned when we were watching the Orca, the killer whale. It's like Free Willy is a movie about how whales shouldn't be kept in captivity, starring a whale in captivity. You know, yeah. You know, and it's like I can't. You know, I just can't make. I can't make the disconnect between that. You know, but this one succeeds where a lot of those uh, similar type type of uh, intentions fail. It sure does. <laughs> it's a real fine motion picture. It is. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I think for me at least, I, I can't really stretch this anymore. Um, do you have yeah, any this final is one thoughts? of those movies. Like, just go watch it. We, yeah, uh, we could talk about it till the cows come. We're just home, gonna ruin the gags for you. Just right. Go watch it. Go watch the movie. Uh, what do you think, Keith? You, you are we gonna do another mutant movie or just? Uh, segue into something else i don't know it's hard uh, there's yeah. not nearly as many mutant movies as you think so we're right. gonna do our best to try and find something uh and if not maybe we'll finally get to uh 2013's the rest in peace department starring Hell Brian yeah. reynolds and jeff bridges and uh see what those deados are up to who knows Hell what yeah. the, the also, future can hold. You know, this is by the time this episode comes out, it will be September, and then we'll have one more episode in September, and then it's October, and it's time for Halloween. Oh, so. Trashoween is right around the corner. Yeah, so get so your homemade papier mache masks on. And there we go. Fire up those pumpkins. All right. Well, yeah, I think that sums it up. Um, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, Keith, what do you always say? Fire, the untamed element, oldest of man's mysteries, giver of warmth, destroyer of forests. Right now, this building is on fire. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everyone. Show's over. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.